0: You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside and outside the Fox 59 CBS 4 podcast studio. Welcome to the Colts Blue Zone podcast draft week edition. Hello, Colts fans. The NFL draft will kick off tomorrow as we tape this podcast Thursday evening Recently, Chris Ballard sat down with the media for a uh, for a chat, also spoke with our Chris Widlick, CBS4's own sports anchor, Chris Widlick, one-on-one, so we'll hear from that a little bit later on in this show, but also discuss takeaways from the main Ballard pre-draft media session. We'll explore some more mock drafts in our own personal final mock draft roundups, talk about some draft day what-ifs that could happen over the next couple days, but 1st As always, we start with the news around the NFL, and one bit of news that could certainly have some impact on what happens in the draft come tomorrow, and that is uh, reports that the uh, Panthers are trading quarterback Teddy Bridgewater to the Broncos and getting a sixth-round pick in return. ESPN's Adam Schefter says the trade does not take Denver out of the quarterback market on Thursday night, but, uh, but Mike... I think it certainly makes them less likely to take a quarterback. You can say sure they might be in the quarterback market, but it would be if they have Drew Lock already, and they bring in Bridgewater, and they get a first round pick on quarterback. That just seems like a lot of resource to spend in one specific area.
1: Yeah, it's, it's almost like you're just throwing as, as many darts to position as you can, hoping that one of them hits. So I, I just I'm really really interested in, in how the draft unfolds from 3 to 10. I just think there's we we think we kind of know, but I think we're going to see some teams making that push for quarterback and it's, we've talked about it and Chris Ballard's mentioned it is quarterbacks get pushed up. Desperation forces you to do a lot of strange things. History tells us, right now it looks like five quarterbacks go maybe top eight, certainly top 15. And and two of them aren't going to make it. That, that's just what history tells us. So desperate times call for desperate measures, and two teams are going to do desperate things, and it won't, it won't work out for them.
0: Joe, Mike says um, that a, if there's any position to throw a lot of darts at the board and pick, it would be quarterback, but... I'd imagine you think the same, that uh, Denver's a little bit less likely to take a quarterback when it gets down to number 9. Heck, if even one of the top five would still be there at number 9.
2: Yeah, I would agree with less likely. I don't think it eliminates a chance. You know, if, like, a Justin Fields falls to the Broncos at 9 and they really, really like this player, I I still think they could take him. But I'm also thinking what this does for the Deshaun Watson trade market. I know Broncos were one of the reported teams interested in in trading for Deshaun Watson does that mean they've kind of you know left that in the past and they've given up on that and they're going forward with Teddy Lock and maybe a rookie I'm not sure but it it's certainly uh it's certainly interesting as we get closer to draft time here
0: That Deshaun Watson I mean it's so far out of my mind right now I don't know about you guys I mean just with probably with the draft and getting just as deep as we've gone in the draft um that's that's why I just haven't been thinking about it a lot lately but um, I mean, Mike, if you're in Houston, I'm sure you haven't thought uh, that people ha- don't think of much else right now besides Deshaun Watson. The draft is kind of an afterthought.
1: Well, the thing is, I, I thought all along that if Deshaun Watson was going to be traded, it's pre-draft. That's when, you- that's when you maximize what you can get for him and to help you immediately. But with all that's going on, there's simply no way a team c- c- can take a flyer on Deshaun Watson no matter how great of a player is because you just don't know. You don't know how this this, this off field stuff's gonna happen or play out. And you're not certain whether the NFL at some point will step in and say, you know, conduct detrimental and all this kind of stuff and, and suspend him. So it's amazing how he has gone from the hot topic well, I mean <laughs> he still is a hot topic, mm-hmm. but a hot topic on being moved, as now he's almost radioactive. One
0: more piece of news around the – uh, Joe, did you have something to say? I did not, no. Sorry, I, I thought you said something. That's my bad. I think somebody <laughs> in here made some noise uh, next door or something like that. Calm down, people. We're trying to tape a podcast here. Crying out <laughs> loud. Anyway, uh, also second bit of news. Orlando Brown traded to the Kansas City Chiefs. The Ravens get a first-rounder, a third-rounder, a fourth-rounder, and a fifth-rounder next year for Brown. As well as a second-round pick and a sixth-round pick, so it's a it's a whole lot of whole lot of picks trading hands from one place to another. And uh, I, I read somewhere, guys, um, just with uh, with some guy, I for, and I forget who it was. I wish I knew because then I could credit him properly. But um, what what this all amounted to in a in a um, in an in a scenario where it was just like for a one type of pick, like if you use different valuations for pick that certain gms or uh or scouts would ever use that this uh compensation amounts to orlando brown being traded for the 26th overall pick is kind of what it comes down to um so all that to simplify all those picks into kind of a one-for-one deal and then of course that brings us to mind joe that the colts have the 21st overall pick so Uh, It would have been, uh, if you use, again, that evaluation, the Colts pick would have been more valuable than this specific uh, package that uh, the Ravens got in return. Uh, You can certainly uh, make the argument, as we have before, that the Colts could could certainly use a left tackle of the future and use one that's proven more so than one that isn't. But uh, uh, do you think that... um, I guess maybe not. Do you think? But it just just as a statement of fact um, that uh, Chris Ballard. I would imagine if if any discussions were had, they never got too far, and probably for some reasons that we've discussed already. Some of the uh, chap has mentioned ad nauseum that uh, that you can only put so much money into the offensive line, but uh, that that probably one pick, that first round pick like the Colts did last year for DeForest Buckner, never really became anything of a possibility if any discussions were had for Orlando Brown.
2: Yeah, and it, it just all comes back to the, the salary cap situation. The Colts couldn't afford to pay for the five offensive linemen, top five to ten at their position. They just, it just doesn't make sense. Otherwise, I'm sure the Colts would have happily, you know, if Orlando B- Brown was only, like, say in his second year, improved himself in his first year and, you know, still had multiple years on his rookie contract at that cheap controlled price, maybe the Colts would have happily flipped their first round pick for Brown. I mean, whoever the Colts draft at twenty one say it's an offensive tackle. They hope that he ends up being as good as Orlando Brown. Right. Um, yeah. so position wise and trade compensation wise it made sense, but they just could the Colts just couldn't make it work with the salary cap without giving up someone else, you know, to, to, to sign Orlando Brown would mean they would have to not re-sign Braden Smith or something like that, and we know how much the Colts want to bring back their own players.
0: Right, Mike, and that's yes, exactly re- what Chris Ballard was talking about last week when we spoke with them. When you go out in free agency and you sign someone, that means you have to let somebody in-house go, and what Ballard said was, quote, I'm just not ready to do that.
1: Right, and just to put numbers of what we're talking about, now th- this is the top end of the scale, but Trent Williams. Six years, one hundred and thirty-eight million dollars. You know, twenty-three million a year for a, for a, for a left tackle
2: in his thirties.
1: Uh, right, in in Orlando Brown's twenty-five, but a top-five left tackle is eighteen million. You know, a top ten's fifteen million, and and again, just for the numbers, Ryan Kelly's the number two, uh, high the highest paid center at fourteen-two. Quentin Nelson, I don't know what kind of a number you put with Quentin Nelson. He's he's going to be that outlier. On he won't be just the highest paid guard. He'll be paid like a left tackle. And and Braden in Braden Smith, the highest paid right tackle is 18 million. He might get more like 15 or 16 million. It just like Joe said, it just doesn't work. Uh, I don't know how much the cap if at all it goes up next year. And they're going to re-sign their own. They've got Darius Leonard. They've got Braden Smith. They've got. Uh, Naheem Hines—they've got people that they need to resign extensions. Hey, I'd, I'd give up the 26th pick for Orlando Brown, or, or the 21st pick in, in this case. But you, but but it's not in a vacuum. Then you have to pay the guy, and they would not—they couldn't pay him what what it's going to take to pay him.
0: The NFL has also loosened its jersey number restrictions, so. Uh, running backs, tight ends, fullbacks, wide receiver can now choose between numbers 1 and 49, as well as numbers 80 to 89, so that gives them a little bit more range. Those single digits are up for grabs. Uh, we saw a couple of Colts tweeting that uh, they might be interested, and uh, Joe, I believe that it's a Naheem Hines and Paris Campbell in particular, two guys that that tweeted that out. Naheem, I believe, was 7 in college, and Paris Campbell was 21 in college, so um so those those are two possible changes that uh we could see uh next year running out of the tunnel
2: yeah i'm not a fan of it i don't know i i just like the old school way i'm used to seeing certain numbers for certain positions um i think we'll all just get used to it i mean this is how it is in college pretty much players wear basically whatever number they want to uh i wish they would allow kickers to wear 90s like they do in college i think blankenship was like 98 or something like that
0: that'd be great
2: (laughs) that would be great but um i don't know it's not something that's a big deal but it's something where the nfl keeps changing too many changes i don't like change dave
0: uh chap are you trying to get people to stay off your lawn as well or is joe the only curmudgeon uh in this group
1: yeah i i'm i'm not quite as much as joe but i this this is <laughs> this is almost like it, it, it's a uh what, what i wasn't aware of is that veterans who changed their numbers have to buy out the inventory of their existing numbers and who was it uh was it dalvin cook yes would, it, would it have to pay over a million dollars
0: one and a half million dollars is the range, yeah. <laughs> I mean,
1: so, so how bad do you want your number? That that's a big number to get a number. not
0: that bad, yeah.
3: So, so yeah, yeah.
1: I, th- th- this is this isn't uh, Justin Houston changing numbers with Anthony Walker and getting fifty. This is totally different. And yeah, I it's funny when doing some research for the draft and you're watching and you're looking for th- for information on like edge pass rushers. And they were like wearing fifteen and seven and nineteen, <laughs> and it just it makes you kind of say, "Wait a minute, what's this?" So at least with the NFL, you kind of know what you're getting. I I guess this is I was I just wonder what's the big deal. I I I wouldn't do it because I don't understand what the, what the big deal is, but the league has never asked us our opinion, and they never will.
0: So that brings us to the NFL draft. The Indianapolis Colts enter the 2021 draft with six picks which would be the fewest of the Chris Ballard era. Eight so far is the fewest number of picks that he has taken in his four drafts as Colts general manager. Also of note, in the two years uh, in rather in the four years he has made two first round picks and traded two others away. Although, if you really want to get technical, he traded three first-round picks because he just went down from uh, three to six or whatever it was for that uh, Quentin Nelson-Sam Darnold deal. So so three times in his four years uh, in drafting, Chris Ballard has traded away his first-round pick, um, which uh, that is not merely a coincidence right now, you can say, after four years. That is a trend. So you go to see the Colts at 21 overall. I'm just going to say before uh, before we say anything else about this draft— it is, i think it is more likely than not that that 21 gets traded away i like the just the closer we've gotten the more it seems to me that it's likely cuz there is some value somewhere between the 30 and like in the second round there's great value and and he's he's ballard has seemingly tried to find that value in years past and even though that first round pick comes with that extra year that you can lock somebody in uh if you so desire that fifth year um he, he chris ballard to decide to go to that second round uh more more often than he has not so anyway that that's just that's just me uh rambling um before before we really get back into what chris had to say that just this last week um as we begin to cover uh the draft for this podcast by the way follow us online on twitter at colts blue zone uh to get uh updates on different colts news throughout the week nfl news throughout the week you can follow Joe at Roto Street. Joe Mike is at M Chapel Fifty One. I am at Dave G underscore Sports. And now we get into Chris Ballard. He says the Colts are not going to force the issue at offensive tackle or at defensive end because those are the two positions that kind of jump off the page to most people. And I believe it was one of the first, if not the first, question that was asked of him: that Hey, uh, the, the, I see the, these two or this one is kind of your big big needs. Uh, how do you how do you deal with that and Um, Mike, Mike, you've said it uh, often on this podcast that uh, you you, you would say, we need this, I need this, and you would deviate from a board here or there. So being a GM is is tough for a member of the media, but um, to to not force the issue at one of those selections, that's all well and good. At the same time, Mike, they need help, especially at offensive tackle, it seems, as they enter this year's draft.
1: Yeah, there were a couple things that – that he mentioned that I just I I, I kind of know what he was saying, but I didn't totally buy into it. Like he said, they're gonna they want to create competition at left tackle. I don't want competition at left tackle. I want a left tackle, and mm-hmm. you know Sam TV and Julian Davenport. In my mind, that's Chaz Green and La Raven Clark. Uh, and and the the one I had the the issue with more is the edge pass rusher. He spent a lot of time, on on maybe on two occasions, talking up Kamoko Ture and Taekwon Lewis and Ben Banigou. Me, You know, like, hey, m- maybe these guys are ready to emerge. I just don't think this team, a team that's ready to contend for something more than they did last year, a deep run. I don't think you can even remotely say that let, let let's see what we've got. Let, let's see if these guys can finally be the players we had hoped they'd be. And that that's why I, I just think they really have to find some way in rounds one or two, whether it's staying put pat, whether it's trading back to get that third rounder, you sent to Philly for Wentz or whatever. You've got to come out of this draft with a left tackle and an edge rusher. Unless your fallback on edge rusher is to sign Justin Houston and then Warrior kick the can down, down the road again. But to think that they've got the left tackle in-house, unless they're flipping around Braden Smith or Quentin Nelson, which I'm against. I, I I know on Joe's mock draft it was left tackle and then pass rusher, which I, I think that maybe how they do it. But I, I had an issue with competition left tackle and playing up your in-house pass rushers because I don't like either one of those options.
0: Yeah, that, that, it's a really unique, unique way to put it, Mike, when, when Chris Bauer comes up there and stands in front of us and says, we're going to create competition at left tackle. That sounds great. You know, it's a cool soundbite. We want competition. We want guys to play off each other and the best player will play. But what that means is you don't have a number one. and like Correct. If you read between the lines, that means you don't know who the guy is. And guess what? You know who the Will linebacker is. That's Darius Leonard. You know who the nose tackle is. That's gonna be Grover Stewart. You know who the three technique is. That's gonna be uh that's gonna be DeForest Buckner. You know who the quarterback is. You don't want competition, quote unquote, at those areas, even though you have guys that, that are good, that are solid as backups back there. You don't want competition for number one, ultimately. You want the guy. You want your stud. You want all-stars. You want pro bowlers. So I I mean, Joe, it's it's like it's it's putting icing on a on a tough situation, and really that's what Ballard has to do right now. Like he with with their current situation, you have guys like um, who did they get Julian Davenport and Sam Tevy are the two uh, two tackles they signed in free agency, and Will Holden's coming back. And like I forget who it might have been Stephen Holder, our friend at the Athletic, who tweeted out uh, Will Holden's uh, bio page on Colts.com. And I swear there were 25 moves from one team to another, or from a practice squad, elevated, taken down, and, like cut, resigned. Like it was insane. And, and I think I think his comment was, I doubt Will Holden knows where he is right now because that's the life of an NFL journeyman, and that's what you have right now on your Colts roster. A tackle opposite Braden Smith, who's going to be the right tackle, we think. So, so Joe, I'll say that like competition, like it sounds great in the soundbite, but at the end of the day, it's really not what you want for one of the most important positions on your team, the left tackle.
2: Well, that's true, but at the same time, if you if your answer is to draft a rookie, like we've been suggesting, you don't know what you have until you get the guy in the building anyway. I mean, you might like the player in the pre-draft process, but until you get him in, get him working out, and he earns that starting position, you still don't really know what you have unless you bring in a veteran. Um, so even if they draft, even if they trade up to the 10th pick and take Pinay Sewell, the-, the highly regarded, um, top tackle in the draft, you still don't know what he is until he's in your building and you're going to make him earn that starting spot theoretically. So I-, I see what Ballard means here, but I think you also make a good point in that. The offensive tackle position is going to be a question mark until they get out on the field and show that this offensive line is just as good or near the level that it's been with Costanza.
0: And the good news is Chris Ballard says he does like this class of offensive linemen in this 2021 draft. He says it's a good offensive line draft, really good, maybe as good as I've seen in a while just in terms of the depth of it. And again, Joe, that goes back to my point that if you're thinking about trading back, that's maybe a hint that you could trade back if you really like the depth of this offensive line class. Maybe you can get one at 34 or 36, and instead of trading, uh, instead of taking one at 21, you trade back there and you you recoup that third round pick you're trading away for uh, Carson Wentz, and uh, and you call it a day. So once again, I, I, I. if you really like the depth of this class, that just means there's value to be had. And if there's value to be had, it gives you at least for a time, at least a limited amount of time. You can't keep trading back, but it gives you a, the ability to trade back a bit and try to recruit a couple of extra picks.
2: Yeah, if I had to put money down on this, I would bet that the Colts trade out of that 21st overall pick. I think it's more likely that they trade than stay. A player they really, really like. And think won't last deeper into the draft would have to be available for the Colts to pick at 21, which could happen one's kind of that weird area where there might be some perceived top 10 talent fall to you just based on team's needs or you know weird things happen in the draft, so that's probably why Ballard hasn't traded back already, but I think you're uh, I think you're onto something here
0: it's interesting the The only year that I guess Chris Ballard took his first round pick was a situation like that, and that was his first year when he was a uh, general manager here. He drafted Malik Hooker, the safety, uh, who fell to him because of injury concerns, I guess. Yeah. And after, <laughs> I know, you, you, you laugh, you chuckle, and after a couple years here in the NFL, you see that it, it really, it didn't appear like it was his college injury that, that really played a role, but just that he kept having injury after injury. So like I, I don't want to dump on Malik here. Like I've said before on this podcast, I think he can be a very successful safety in the NFL if put into the right scheme for his, uh, his best ability, but it's just not going to be here in Indianapolis. Um, But, but that's, that's the one time that he took the, in his draft slot, uh, the player, it was somebody who was like a top 10 talent that fell down to him a little bit because of some concerns. So, so Mike, I I, like, it's a difference between falling from falling to 15. I think, I think Malik was somewhere in that range. I forget the exact number, um, but there's a difference between falling that far and falling all the way down to uh, all the way down to 21. Uh, it's going to take a lot for a top 10 talent to drop down into the 20s.
1: Yeah, and now the the one variable is you got five quarterbacks going to go that you know there's five spots right there. True. You know maybe maybe three receivers and a couple of corners and then you get a couple of the the the, the elite offensive tackles. Tight I think end. what Joe's mentioned and the tight end. And, you know the the freak tight end. I I think what Joe's mentioned and you mentioned too, Dave, is that when you get to twenty one, you know, first of all, what if just a, a an off the charts receiver is still there? You know, I remember back in 01 when they needed defensive help and they took Reggie Wayne. Uh, I I I don't I wouldn't be in favor of that, but if they've got a player rated at, at that position that's just so much better, then they'll do it cornerback certainly is possible but I I think what Joe's mentioned and we all have is that the depth at tackle they may see not a lot of difference between the fourth fifth sixth seventh or offensive tackle so you figure whatever you get at 21 you can get at 26 or 27 or the top of the second round if if you want to fall that far out of this so and how do you handle, you know, we've talked about this the last couple of weeks, how do you handle the edge pass rushers? Virtually everyone's got a, a red flag by his name for what, either injury, production, opting out, whatever. So, you know, when we talked to, to to Ballard the other day, he said he thought there were five or six difference makers in this draft. And he mentioned that at 21, they believe there there will be a quality player at 21. Well, if you're not, you know, a hundred percent sold on the guy at 21, again, maybe you fall back. I, I'm with Joe. I think we're going to be sitting there Thursday night waiting for the Colts on on 21, and they trade back. I just hope they don't trade out of the first round because it, that makes us sitting there all all night and get nothing out of it. But I I I th- this this is prime prime trade back area for the Colts, and I I will be more surprised if they stand pat, then if they trade back. And the chances of them moving up uh, are, are slim to none, I think, because, again, like you mentioned, they're already at six picks. Trading up means you're getting rid of at least one other pick, and I just can't see them doing that. Yeah, it, it would
0: take an act of Congress. <clears throat> excuse me. It, it, it,
1: would, it, it, would, it would take a, a left tackle being there a spot or two above that they just believe is that guy and, and, and is that fourth, maybe the fourth best, Offensive tackle, and then they simply don't want to risk not getting him. But it would take a special player for the Colts to move up, and only move up a couple of spots because the higher you move up, the higher you move move up, the more expensive it is.
0: Mike, you mentioned uh, the other side of the line or the uh, pass rusher group. A couple of notes that Chris Ballard had to say. He was trying to talk up Kamoko Ture, Taekwon Lewis as well, um, saying Lewis came on last year and played good football. Okay, yeah, he was he was okay, I think. Uh he was fine. Uh Kamoko Ture... He was, he
1: was he was never brought in to be a pass rusher. Right. He was brought in he was brought in primarily to be a 3 technique guy, so it's hard for me to, for them to sell Taekwon Lewis as perhaps an outside pass rush threat right. primarily a-
0: any any type of solution to the problem of pass rush which you have right now so uh, and then Kamoko Terre would be a guy that they certainly want would have liked uh, to fill that and uh, Chris Ballard said last year we didn't get to see Terre fully healthy he had another surgery after the season and Joe Ballard kind of beat himself up a little bit over over allowing Terre to play last year he just said he was never fully healthy so I mean, we were talking at the beginning of last year that we were hopeful if Ture was fully healthy, he could have like a, some kind of comeback uh even being the comeback player of the year discussion. that was obviously a uh bridge way too far uh because Ture was not fully healthy uh but if you again say, well, now we hope he'll be fully healthy again, then you again you kind of get into that um you kind of get into that uh, continual. Uh, rhythm or continual pattern, uh, kind of like with Malik Hooker. That if you if you stay healthy, you can be really good. But um, th- that 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 says that well, you're not staying healthy. And until you do stay healthy, there's a lot of NFL teams that just aren't going to believe that you ever will.
2: Yeah, and it kind of makes you think. I mean, you just kind of got to cross your fingers with Teray because we've seen the flashes of talent that he displays when he is healthy. But it also makes you think, okay, is this the Colts? showing that they're willing to gamble on some players with injury concerns? Because, you know, Ture entered the draft with injury concerns uh, at a Rutgers. Or do you think maybe the Colts have learned their lessons? Because there's a couple guys with injury concerns in the first round. We've talked about Jalen Phillips uh, with the concussions. Talented pass rusher might be a top 10 guy if it wasn't for the injuries. We've talked about Caleb Farley. Uh, the cornerback from Virginia Tech, probably a top ten talent, if it wasn't for the injury concerns. So, given the Colts' past history of the guys they've drafted with injury concerns not working out, are they less likely to take those players, or have they shown that they are and will continue to be likely to take those players? I'm not sure any of us have the answer, but it's just the type of thing that keeps me up at night.
1: And Mike, yeah, and, yeah, and, and one thing on the on the injury concerns is they have less information this year on, on, right. on medical but because of the restrictions and, and not having as much hands-on with these players. I just I – just, I, I won't be a fan of taking a player with injury issues at my two most important spots because you need to, as much as possible, limit the risks injury-wise – uh, and and all that as far, as far as what you're getting because you're always going to have the risk on whether the player will pan out, but uh, there's just so many red flags on, on on primarily the pass rushers, not so much the tackles. These guys have got their work cut out for, them for uh, the next three days.
0: Yeah, you mentioned red flags. There's certainly some for Ben Banagoo last year, having not having been a healthy scratch for uh for quite a few games last season. A second round pick two years ago. Um, Chris Ballard said it's a big year for Banigu, and he knows it. Well, well, obviously it's a big year for mm-hmm. Banigu, and he'd better know it. If he doesn't know it, then we have a serious problem. So, um, that that's not that's not meant to to take away from from the guy. I think. Well, I I don't know what to think about him. I just don't because we haven't seen him in in, in a while. Um. So so yeah, it's obviously a big year. Sounds like for him. Quincy Wilson. Uh, yeah, in in some ways it does, but like I. Yeah, I guess it does. I, I don't know if I would like and,
1: and, to and, and that's why I say I, I, I just I, I just can't get on board. Right when they're when they're talking up three guys, you know, and of, of those three guys, I feel the better about, Tyquan Lewis, right? Because he did I do play. He, he but again, he's he's still not. He he was never projected to be what they need.
0: He's not a ten sack edge rusher.
1: No, no. But if he gives you seven or eight from inside or when moving him around, that's great. He may be more the Denico Autry type player moving forward than, than than the Justin Houston, and we've talked about it. I won't be the least bit surprised if a week after the draft, Justin Houston's back here. I I just I would rather re-sign him, knowing that it's a chance I'm going to get nine, ten, eleven, twelve sacks, and a and a quality locker room guy. And yes, you're you're still kicking the can down the road as far as. Getting the, the young guy, I would rather have somebody I know can, can do it, has done it, isn't ancient by any, by any stretch. And you're probably going to get Justin Houston at a reasonable price after the draft. It's just that's just fact of life in the NFL. So again, I I want to see on on Monday or Tuesday how this team stacks up at tackle or pass rush. Maybe they've got some plan in in, in mind that. That we've either talked about the Nelson move and all that stuff, but until we know what they're doing, it's easy to be critical of them because these these aren't, this isn't like who's going to be your strong side linebacker. No, these are two of the three or four prime positions that right now you don't have the right player at.
0: We've talked about it already, so I won't feel the need to go too in depth on this, but having only six picks, Chris Ballard says. I think we're pretty good at what we do, but there needs to be a little luck involved. And the more picks you have, the more chances that uh, luck shows up. So, unfortunately, not talking about Andrew Luck showing up. Ah, we'll move on. <laughs> Latest rumors around the NFL. NFL.com's Ian Rappaport claims the Falcons are fielding calls for Julio Jones. Wide receiver, 32 years old, three, left, three years left on his contract uh, at a value of $15 million, $11.5 million, $11.5 million over those next three years. Uh, Atlanta, uh, just a note uh, that Joe includes here, that they would want to trade Jones after June 1st for salary cap reasons. Uh, so nothing here is going to happen in the immediate future. Like, nothing's going to happen with the draft. Like, trading picks for Julio Jones this year, maybe next year. But nevertheless, uh, it's a three-year, nearly $40 million uh, in total, uh, for Julio Jones at 32 years old. I find it very difficult to believe the Colts will be uh, in the hunt here for Julio, Mike, because you just invested some money in T.Y. Hilton as a 30-plus-year-old receiver. They definitely want to develop their young guys, I think especially Paris Campbell, that they really want. They really wanted to get him involved last year. But uh, him and Michael Pittman Jr., and maybe even Des Patman this year, we'll see if he's able to crack the lineup at all. Um, plus, if you draft somebody, obviously,
1: um, I, I I think they're more apt to draft a guy. Yeah. Let's say they could re- recoup that third round pick. Uh, there's going to, you know, as Joe knows from having done so much research on this, there's an awful lot of receivers who look like they can be something at this level. So I, and again, you got you've got to look at the salary structure and how this team's being built and i just don't know how they they can they can deal with a receiver at that at that level no matter how good he is
0: joe i would imagine i don't know what you think what 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 do you think
2: i mean it'd be sexy it, it'd be cool yeah, but what? I, I don't think i don't think it's very realistic for the reasons you guys said a the cal- salary cap although those cap numbers are very reasonable for julio jones who is still playing at a all pro type level right now he's 32 so we don't know how soon the cliff will come as far as a drop-off. But if anyone could keep this up for a long time, it'd be Julio, because he is clearly just built different than most human beings. But I don't think Chris Ballard would, A, give up whatever it would take to land Julio. I don't know what that would be, second-round pick at least. Um, And then, B, I don't think he wants to structure it. It would go against most moves uh, Ballard has made in the past
0: uh julio jones also if you all didn't know is the all-time leader in nfl history in receiving yards per game he has 95 and a half yards per game over his career with the falcons does anybody know how far down you have to go to get to the second from 95 and a half yeah, joe knows yeah i I, yeah, I figure you'd know i think it's calvin johnson at 86 you're correct. Calvin Johnson at 86. So you go down nine whole wow. yards per game. Like, that, that's a big number. That's more than 10%. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Better in yards per game. It's crazy. And Calvin Johnson's a great receiver. Michael Thomas is third, 85. Antonio Brown, fourth, 84 and a half. I mean, after that, like, you get down to a group, you know, a group of people. T.Y. Hilton, by the way, is 22nd in NFL history here, 70 yards per game. But uh, and Randy Moss is right there, right below T.Y., so when Randy Moss is seventy yards per game down there, and you're Julio Jones at ninety five and a half yards per game, he just produces. He gets yards. I mean, he's made a lot of catches in his career, and uh, there's no doubt that he's still productive. But I just like I just don't see it happening. I don't see the Col- uh, the Colts doing anything for Julio. Maybe they do, and maybe I eat my words. But I I ugh, I, I just doubt it. Highly doubt it. Ian Rappaport also reports. Virginia Tech offensive tackle Christian Darrisaw has played with a significant groin injury late in 2020. He had surgery to repair a core muscle injury in January. And that Darrisaw should be healed soon and received a quote-unquote thumbs up at his combine medical. But this again goes back, Mike, to what you're saying with just less information at medicals this year. When your team doesn't get the exact hands-on uh, privileges that they have in the past, you're going into it not flying blind, but uh, flying with a whole lot less info, like with maybe 20%, I think, of uh, at least your comfort level about what you know about injuries with certain prospects. And you can now add saw to the list, the guy that some people have falling to the Colts, but I think most people in mock drafts have him going a little bit higher.
1: Yeah, and that's as we've talked about it in the past about the Combine, Hey it's great you know and and Joe gets off on watching the bench press and the 40 and all that kind of stuff. Yeah he does. But but, but, but the yeah, the yeah. overall <laughs> overall importance is medicals. I've had players tell me how how you know they they went back and they noticed I had a broken hand when it was in elementary school and these guys were just stunned. Well that that's what these teams do. They look under every rock because they're they're investing millions of dollars in a player and they want to know they're getting as healthy as, as possible and you're going to do your due diligence this year and they're going to be as sure as they can but medicals and the psychological testing the Colts are really really high on getting a good look inside these guys what makes them tick and they'll do what they can but it's just not the same this year and we'll see how that alters uh, how they approach some of these players.
0: And certainly, these guys are still going to be taken somewhere in the draft. But again, Mike, if you're looking at a guy you want to invest a first-round pick into and invest more money into, then that just brings up more concerns, like a guy like cornerback Caleb Farley out of Virginia Tech as well. And the other Virginia Tech guy could be a first-rounder. Rappaport also reporting Farley could slip out of the first round due to his medical concern that he's had a back injury for more than two years. He's had two surgeries since playing his last game back in 2019, so it would be an intriguing selection in round two. It's just going to be, for some teams with medical concerns, a bridge way too far to spend first-round capital on someone like this.
1: Round, round one, no. Round two, maybe. Round one, you've got those five-year deals with that fifth-round option where it gets really expensive. Uh, s- second third round, I, I, I would be more apt to take a projection on a guy. First round would be really tough to do.
0: ESPN's Jeremy Fowler reports North Dakota, North Dakota State North Dakota State offensive tackle Dylan Radens is rising up draft boards, and this is something that I said last week, talking with uh, our, our interview with Daniel Jeremiah, that uh, he did like a media session. NFL Network's Daniel Jeremiah said he had Radens rising up his board. Fowler says the same. Uh, he says teams believe that uh, he could play all five spots on the line. And in a tackle class that does admittedly have a short-armed group, Raidens was one of the few to hit the 34-inch mark. So that's one of those stats that uh, that makes Joe tick, 34-inch arms on your tackles. Um, and, and numbers certainly matter at that point. Just an extra inch matters uh, when you have uh, a guy uh, like a uh, Bud Dupree or a T.J. Watt or whoever it is coming off the edge trying to, to get to your quarterback so uh, Joe, an interesting riser in uh, in Raiden's, and hey, could have a nice North Dakota State battery, a quarterback offensive tackle if uh, if things would go that way for the Colts.
2: Yeah, and I think Raiden's is one of those players who has some of the higher upside of the offensive tackles in this draft because he's a very athletic player. He's got physical tools uh, such as 34 inch arms. Um, But he's a player who needs to put on a little more weight and get a little bit stronger to play in the NFL at this next level. Um, So he's a player who I think the Colts would be interested in based on his traits, but he'd be a player also at the same time who'd be questionable as far as, is he ready to start right away or would he need more time? Um, So he's an interesting one for the Colts because he's, like a lot of players in the draft, he's a yeah, but yeah, he has a lot of athletic upside, but is he ready to play right away?
1: What, isn't he one of them? That didn't they play one game last year? North yep. Dakota State? Yeah, yep. they so played one game. one game. So, and that's what, again, there was is it like five or six players uh, or it, it, that may go in the top 10 or top 15 opted out? And this guy didn't opt out, but but they played one game. So you you really are going to have players, you're going to have teams, I don't want to say taking flyers on players, but how comfortable are you taking a Dylan Rendon's in in round one or two, knowing that, boy, he looks pretty good. Played one game last year, Rondell, Rondell Moore. He, he opted out, and then he opted back in. He's played seven games in two years. So there's so many players that, You've got almost incomplete reports on. But, again, taking this guy, the North Dakota State tackle in round one, I would be nervous. Round two, I'd feel a bit better, especially at 54.
0: Some other rumors include, uh, according to ESPN, that the Washington football team trying to trade up from their number 19 overall pick and perhaps not for a quarterback. Carolina Panthers trying to trade down from eight. And I've seen those two swap in a couple of different mock drafts that include trades. And uh, if if, it, if so, it makes sense for Washington to try to trade up into the top ten um, just because right there, ten is the Dallas Cowboys, eleven is the New York Giants, twelve is the Philadelphia Eagles. So those are their three division rivals right there in the NFC East at ten, eleven, and twelve. So if Washington wants to climb up above their division rivals, they're going to have to get up to nine, which again from nineteen is not going to be cheap to do. But if they want to trade up and get ahead of uh, their own rivals for the guy that they want, that, that would be the spot to do it. Uh, the Pats perhaps looking to trade up and draft a quarterback. Maybe Trey Lance falls, maybe Justin Fields falls, assuming that Mac Jones goes number three to uh, who's there to San Francisco there. Um, which at least more and more, I think, draft analysts are are starting to project now that Mac Jones is a little bit more solidly that guy over a Justin Fields or a Trey Lance. Uh, Trey Lance probably in particular the second most that I've seen. But anyway, and uh, it's possible that six offensive tackles go in round one. Uh, we've seen that with a bunch of mock drafts, that there's a bunch of guys being taken um, it, th- that high. And that's a, that's a lot of offensive tackles. That's a lot from one position to go and we we've seen in the past we've seen wide receivers go with that clip um we've seen other positions go with that clip and offensive tackle would be would just be the latest to join the group so you got to run on one job one position and uh people want their guy so those are other rumors that we could see come to fruition uh come tomorrow let's get to our mock draft roundup that we do every week the latest hey, mock. Hey, go w- ahead mike go one, ahead
1: one, one one thing before get mock drafts we've got some breaking news that the Colts have exercise the fifth-year option on Quentin Nelson, probably one of the more no-brainer no, no brainer moves. So uh, th- that's what we talked about with taking guys in at rounds one or round two. That first-round player gets that fifth-round option. And with Quentin, it's going to be – I'm trying to think what it was. I've got it written down somewhere in all my notes here. 15, 14 or $15 million because of the all-pro status he's had. So uh, Quentin Nelson, as we all know, is going nowhere, and he gets paid pretty well next year. Here's um,
0: a, a just real quick Google search. According to USA Today, the fifth-year option is going to be worth $13.8 And right. so, so for Quentin Nelson, that's going to be much less than he makes over the future years of his contract. Uh, because as you said, he's going to be paid closer to left tackle money than he gets paid left guard money um, in, in this deal. So we'll take Quentin Nelson at $13.8 un- uh, undoubtedly. But uh, thanks, Mike, for bringing that up. Now we will get to the mock draft roundup. Uh, some latest mock drafts, we'll go to once again our very own Joe Hopkins because he has expanded his mock draft from a one-rounder to a two-rounder. Uh, so, Joe, we already heard uh, your first-round uh, selection for the Colts would be off at, Excuse me, Oklahoma State offensive tackle Tevin Jenkins. But uh, let the people know who you see getting, the Colts getting in round two at 54 overall.
2: Yeah, and just so I, I kind of did like an updated mock draft. So some of the first-round picks did change, especially with oh, okay, the trade okay. and everything. Uh, I stuck with Jenkins in the first round, though. I I just went kind of best tackle available. He's kind of that fourth guy after Darisol, And I feel like there is a gap between him and the next group of offensive tackles. Maybe the Colts will feel differently. Um, but Tevin Jenkins played a lot at right tackle. Oklahoma State did have a few starts at left tackle, but during his... Media session, Chris Ballard specifically says he believes a right tackle in college can play left tackle in the NFL if they're athletic and instinctive enough. And he specifically pointed out Jedrick Wills from Alabama. So I don't think just because Jenkins primarily played right tackle that would necessarily eliminate him from Colts consideration. Per PFF, Jenkins, 1,129 pass block snaps across four seasons at Oklahoma State. Only allowed two sacks. So that's pretty darn good. Um, Colts fixer their left tackle situation with Jenkins. And then in round two, I had them going Peyton Turner, defensive end out of Houston, just like an athletic freak, tested off the charge, long 35 or 36-inch arms, uh, about 270 pounds. So I would imagine he would kind of play that Danico Autry role, uh, kind of that left defensive end who can move inside on obvious pass rush downs. But again, athletic freak at uh, his pro day. He only played a handful of games this past year. Uh, I think Houston didn't play their full slate, but he graded really well from PFF during those games and had some good sack production as well. So I think the Colts get both high upside players in Jenkins and in uh, Peyton Turner at the two positions in need that we keep harping on.
0: Anyone who can protect the quarterback, anyone who can get after the quarterback. That's, uh, I think, who a lot of Colts fans... Would want to see with both the first and the second round picks. Uh, Pro Football Focus has Georgia taking, uh, has the Colts taking Georgia Edge Aziz Ojolari, and we've uh, we've mentioned him a couple times here uh, with uh, PFF's notes. I believe Ojolari is the best all around edge in the class. He is committed and physical against the run and gets after the passer as well. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Ojolari is gone before the Colts pick because I've seen that same similar type of analysis. Some people think that he could be the best all around. Edge defender, uh, whether it's uh, more like there's other guys who are perhaps better upside around the edge, like a Quitty Pay. You think he might have better potential for the pass rush, but if you want a guy who's uh, maybe uh, have the idea that he's the best all around edge defender, Ojalari could be your pick. Um, and in that one, Darisaw and Tevin Jenkins were both off the board, um, and as they were, I believe, for Joe uh, in, in his mock draft as well. And the great pick in round two that Pro Football Focus has in there um in in their uh mock draft is texas a&m quarterback kellen mond so joe gives a nice note here wtf uh joe joe would be quite surprised if the Colts take a quarterback in round two and i say i would have to agree with that
2: yeah uh, why taking a developmental quarterback in round two i mean you have a developmental quarterback in jacob eason i don't want to be the guy who you, are you forgetting about Jacob Easton? What about Jacob Easton? Huh. But I mean You love Jacob Easton. What about Jacob? <laughs> if you're going to take a developmental quarterback in round 2, A, I think that's too high for a Colts team who already traded away draft capital to get Wentz who is only what 28 and then they already have a developmental quarterback in the wing in Easton. So this doesn't make any sense whatsoever in my opinion.
1: Then Mike if you're, I I yeah, I, I I quit reading that that mock draft when we got to... A quarterback in round two I just thought are, are you what what world are you living in so I'm sure there's a rationale he th- this is one that didn't include any explanation probably because he didn't have one
0: <laughs> and what 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 a heck of a thing it would be for Carson Wentz to go from a place last year that drafts a quarterback in the second round when you need offensive tackle and, uh, and playmaker help to a place this year that would take a quarterback in the second round where you need offensive tackle and playmaker help that would just be a uh, pouring it on, as, as the kids say. Anyway, NFL.com's Bucky Brooks has uh, the Colts take Miami defensive end Jalen Phillips. Um, NFL.com's Charles Davis has offensive tackle Tevin Jenkins. Your boy, Joe. Um, <laughs> apparently, <laughs> he's apparently ESPN's reporter mock draft where they had all their uh, individual team reporters make picks. Uh, so our very own Mike Wells, not not our own Mike Wells, but Indie's own Mike Wells, I should say. Uh, made the Colts selection, uh, taking Michigan defensive end Quiddy Pay, uh, who and Wellesley says, uh, despite of eleven and a half sacks in a little more than three years, uh, Pay fits coordinator Matt Eberflus' style of having fast and aggressive players. That's certainly the case. You you like your speed, especially on the edge, and especially on that uh, turf inside uh, the dome at Lucas Oil Stadium. But again, well, in many of these uh, picks where Pay gets t- selected, uh, either Darisaw or both Darisaw and Jenkins are already off the board so uh, you're at a point where you can't take a left tackle or you don't want to take a left tackle at that spot, and, uh, and so uh, you just take the best defensive end available at that point. Um, so out, out of all those mock draft scenarios, um, let's see. Let, let, let's wait until we, get, uh, uh, until we make this next uh, point before, excuse me, before we ask which mock draft scenario is the best for the Colts because we'll kind of round it up here in that we've uh, done the mock draft roundup for the past five weeks now. Yeah, excuse me, all throughout the A- April. And uh, the players who are most commonly picked by the Colts are uh, Quiddy Pay of Michigan and Tevin Jenkins of Oklahoma State, although uh, Joe kind of cheated here and selected Tevin Jenkins twice to create that yeah. tie. But nevertheless, uh, he's still there. Uh, Jalen Phillips of Miami is up there at three, and Georgia's Aziz Ojalari also there at three. So uh, four, uh, four times Quiddy Pay, four times Tevin Jenkins, three to Phillips and Ojolari um so it's obvious that uh offensive tackle and defensive end especially defensive end a lot of people think the Colts are taking because they see probably the best value at that point in the draft between either offensive tackle or defensive end uh kind of edging toward defensive end and um out of the 25 mock drafts we we've listed 13 of them have the Colts taking an edge rusher eight of them have an offensive tackle three of them have a wide receiver and one of them have a cornerback. So uh, you, you look at that spread, Mike, and I don't think it's too surprising that uh, if uh, things go as we expect, that uh, the first pick, if the Colts select 21, will most likely be someone in the trenches for sure.
1: And it's no surprise that there's no consensus right, on it. That that, that, it, it. It shows you the – first of all, it, it reflects picking 21 because you don't know who's going to be there. And, and then it reflects the fact that there's so many players sort of in, the, in that bundle, in that grouping – to where, you know, what What flavor do you like? So I, I think it just reflects the uncertainty of, of being at 21. Some
0: draft day what ifs from Joe that uh, you've put together here. And I don't know how likely this one is, but Joe, have you ever seen Devonte Smith falling to the Colts at 21 overall? Because that's the first one you uh, you put on here. I'd like uh, like your explanation for that one.
2: I don't think it's likely, but I think there's a chance. I mean, there's kind of the buzz that his hundred sixty six pounds might scare some teams off. Uh, there's kind of buzz that he could be the third receiver taken behind uh LSU's Jamar Chase and then fellow Alabama receiver Jalen Waddle. And there's all and that's also behind Kyle Pitts as well, who's you know, he's a tight end, but you're basically taking him to be a pass catcher. So, you know, four, kind of four wide receivers slash pass catchers, one of them might fall a little bit. And then if you just look at last year's draft, which is also considered an extremely talented wide receiver draft, a lot of the wide receivers fell a little bit because of that. I think Henry Ruggs was the first off the board at 11, um, and then Jerry Judy went 15th. The Cowboys, I forget where the, where they landed, uh, CeeDee Lamb, but he went somewhere in the teens as well, all below where you know people thought their value was or people thought they were top five players but they fell a little bit so i do think it's possible maybe a 10 percent chance Devonte smith is around at 21 when the colts pick and if if he is would either of you guys be on board with the colts taking Devonte smith and saying screw our needs this guy is an amazing player and we kind of need wide receivers so let's just take him
1: yes i
0: yeah, yes. I think I think I think it would be a really tough spot for Ballard to be in. To, uh, but if he does stick to his board, I think it would be hard not to take Devontae Smith. Um, I think he's he's a heck of a player. Um, remember, I mean, a remember, what, uh,
1: remember what Jim Irsay said back in maybe it was January February about when he was talking about playmakers on offense. He said ten and eighty seven. You know Hill and 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 Travis Kelsey. So that's if you can get those kind of players, you get them. And you, then you, I tell you, then then you address offensive tackle in round two, and pass rusher. Like I say you go, you get bring Justin Houston back, and worry about the young guy later.
0: Joe asks his second draft day: What if? Have we been sleeping on USC's Elijah Vera Tucker, another highly rated offensive line prospect, perhaps in the same tier as Christian saw. Um He is projected as a guard in the NFL due to his lack of length: thirty-two and one eighth inch inch arms i will add that Braden smith uh his arms uh measured would be uh, 32 and a quarter so uh, not all that much longer for the colts uh right tackle over there who's uh certainly taken hold of that position and and made it his own over the past few years so has played left tackle but again projected maybe as a guard in the nfl you've seen him taken by a couple different um people to cover different positions i guess in the draft mock drafts that i've seen and said he's going to play this position or that position but um, Vera Tucker, I guess, Joe, is just another another possibility if indeed he he falls to the Colts.
2: I was just kind of thinking, what if Colts have already decided they're going to move Quentin Nelson to left tackle because they don't like the value, or maybe it's not quite decided, but they'll see how it plays out. I don't think it's the craziest idea ever, and I haven't seen it pitched anywhere, but what if they go with Elijah Vera Tucker, who's a highly rated offensive tackle, Uh, slash guard prospect. They like him better than the other tackles available. And they plug him in at left guard and move Nelson out to left tackle. I don't think it's the craziest idea out there. I think Ballard said multiple times during his media session, get the best five players on the field. And if they like Vera Tucker at guard better than they like the fourth, fifth, or sixth offensive tackle at left tackle, I I think it's something the Colts would at least think about. And hey, Vera Tucker was all conference at left tackle in 2020. So maybe they start him out at left tackle. If the length is an issue, they move him inside the guard and have Quentin Nelson play left tackle. It's just more to think about. We keep pigeonholing left tackle, defensive end, kind of kind of trying to open our horizons a little bit.
0: I, I And I know why so many people want to move Quentin Nelson to left tackle. I get it. He's one of the best left guards in the NFL, and it's easier to find a guard than a tackle. I, I, I hear you. And I've said this before on this podcast. I get it, but like the more pieces you move, the more moving pieces there are, the greater chance there is to flop, the greater chance there is to do something stupid, and, and you just want to you want to decrease the risk as well. So, like both are true, both are very true. Um, the the point that you're making, Joe, and, and and my point too. So, and and those are the discussions that that Chris Ballard and his scouts have, and, and the coaching staff has. So. Um, I mean, I will always defer to those guys who are professionals than than myself, who's a uh, who's a professional reporter and prognosticator, an analyst, whatever you might want to call me. So, um, so anyway, that's just we want to give you uh, you the listener the best information possible. Now we're starting to run out of time, but what if the Colts don't draft a pass rusher? I think we've got into this a little already, Mike. Um, that if they don't draft a pass rusher, even as much as Chris Ballard played up his second-round picks, recent second-round picks at that position, it would be very likely that it, the Colts would bring Justin Houston back for sure to add him to the group.
1: It, it, unless you really are sold on one of these young pass rushers, and right. I'm not sure how they ca- how they can be, uh, although Pay might, might really, <laughs> with the athleticism, may just really steal their eyes. But uh, I, if you're not sold on the guy, then don't invest a first-round pick on him. Maybe a second-round pick, I guess. I'm 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 sort of got the blinders on right now. If I don't love these guys, I'll bring back Justin Houston for a for – not a minimum, but a reasonable contract and look for my pass rusher next year.
0: So who do the Colts draft in round one? This will be a two-part question as we close out before we get to that Chris Ballard one-on-one with CBS 4's own Chris Woodlick. Who will the Colts draft in round one, and what do you think the ideal scenario is for the Colts in this draft throughout the first day or maybe the first two days? Um, Mike, we'll start with you. Joe, you'll go, and then I'll wrap things up and bring us to the
1: finish. To me, the ideal situation is trading back however far you want to go, 26, 27, 28, and then you go for an Eichenberg, uh leatherwood or, or cosme and that's probably a reach on all those guys uh at it, the bottom of the first round but I, I i would trade out try to get that third round pick and get that second tier uh offensive tackle
2: joe i would say best case scenario is dare is available for you there at 21 um i don't think it's likely maybe 20 30 chance that happens But I think that's the best-case scenario. If I have to make a prediction right now, I would go with Tevin Jenkins. I don't feel as good about it. Last year, I predicted Michael Pittman Jr. I felt really good about that. I don't feel as good about this year. But if I had to put one name at pick 21, it would be Tevin Jenkins.
0: I I think that uh, if they take someone at 21 – it uh, either Tevin Jag- Jenkins or Radens uh, just is uh, is my pick, and I'd probably lean toward Jenkins. But if Darnell falls to them, I agree with Joe. I think that's a great, great. Um, if you're comfortable with him medically, that would be a great pick. Um, but I-, I think the most likely scenario, and which could turn into the most ideal scenario depending on what you get in return, would be trade. Um, and would be to trade back. And uh, if 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 everything falls your way you're able to trade back a little bit uh in the first round and so you say i you say you trade back from 21 to i don't know 28 and then maybe somebody else wants to jump in there too and so you trade back from 28 into like the 35 to 40 range so if you're able to get two trades and maybe recoup two third round picks in return i think that's probably the best case scenario so and i I don't think that's completely out of the picture something that uh, chris ballard would like to do um is to just Gather a few more picks because, as he says, the more picks you have, the more chance you have to get a little bit lucky. So uh, I think that's the best-case scenario if you're able to trade back within the first round so you maybe still have some calls coming in near the end of the first round if teams want to jump in and grab somebody with that still fifth-year option. And that way you're able to recoup two picks and uh, move on and see what you can get uh, in the early to mid-second round and add those guys to your squad. So that is all of our coverage on the NFL draft. At least all of our preview coverage on the NFL draft. We'll be back next week to analyze everything that happened over the past couple days, or the next couple days, I should say. And uh, for Joe Hopkins and Mike Chapel, I'm Dave Griffiths. We encourage you to follow us on Twitter at Colts Blue Zone to follow along with our draft coverage. And now we're going to turn things over to CBS 4 own Chris Woodlock, uh, chatting one-on-one with Colts General Manager Chris Ballard.
3: But joining us now is Colts General Manager Chris Ballard as we get ready for the big draft set for, for Cleveland, Ohio. Chris, thanks so much for the time. With yeah, thanks for having me. With all these issues, what's the big difference? What's the biggest challenge this year, maybe compared to last year, in evaluating talent and getting everything that you want set on the table before the draft?
4: Well, I mean, you know, last year they we had a complete college season. Um, our scouts had been on the road all fall. So they'd seen, talked to his and, you know, seen these guys practice. And plus we had a full combine. Um, So we had all the medical information. We had about 80% of all the workout numbers that we needed. So it's a, I mean, we're talking about, uh, you know, a season where there was, you know, half seasons guys, you know, some got a lot of opt-outs. We weren't able to really go on the road like we usually do our scouts weren't. So um, it, there's a stark difference. And then we didn't have the, you know, we didn't have the combine. So we're getting inf- we're getting the information. We're just getting the information a lot later in the process than we're used
3: to things that's got to be making things that much more difficult. Doesn't it?
4: Um, yeah. I mean, it is, but I mean, all 31 other team, other, every other team is dealing with the same issue. So we don't, there's no excuse. We just move forward and work and try to solve the problem and figure out the player.
3: Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, Heading into this draft, you've got six picks. I think that's the lowest in your, in your Colts tenure. We know you love draft picks. You keep telling this that uh, Mm -hmm. every single year you've had what 17 trades you've made with your picks in your five seasons Um, is adding picks a priority or will that just unfold on draft day as it goes?
4: It's a, you know, just, depends on the circumstances who's the player um you know when we get to our picks you know who's on the board um you got to have a partner you know that's willing to trade that you know that's the you know, the other part of the equation that sometimes you know people forget about um you got to have a little luck you know that when that to happen um so our philosophy is always going to be to you know more is better um uh, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. You never know. I mean, maybe we trade up and go to five picks. I mean, I don't know. You, you're just kind of waiting on draft day and we go through every scenario and see how it unfolds and we'll be ready for all of them.
3: Well, it appears on paper that the needs may be tackled filling uh, Anthony Costanza's hole, an edge rusher, possibly cornerback. How deep are those talent pools uh, in this college group in this specific draft, Chris?
4: Um, are there's there's good players. Um, I think there's good players at every position, but it's it's an extremely strong offensive line draft, um, and uh, you know defensive end and corner. There's good players at every you know level of the draft. You know, are we going to be? You know, is Dwight Freeney all of a sudden going to pop up? Um, I don't I don't know if if there's a Dwight Freeney you know sitting out there, um, but there's good players.
3: Chris, is there much research going into? maybe other teams potential draft boards teams that are around you well this team may take this guy because we're looking at him as well how much does that go into the equation if at all
4: well uh, you've got to be i mean i i think you got to be careful on reading into too much of the rumors i mean we just kind of insulate ourselves and uh, this is how we see it um We have a team needs board where we kind of got a pretty good feel for what other teams need. Um, But there's so many rumors and I would tell you 90% of them are false. So you've got to be careful, you know, what you're reading and what you're listening to.
3: Got to ask you what it's like on draft night. When you make those calls to these players that change their lives. What is that like from your perspective? We know what it's like from the players' perspective. It's unbelievable joy for them and their family. What's it like for you?
4: It's re- it's it's really cool. It's a that's a special moment. You know, just you know, kids worked his whole life to get to this moment, and then to be able to call his name on draft day. I mean, I get a little emotional about it because it is, you know, it's a special moment. I'll never take it for granted to be able to to make that call. I mean. not a lot of people that get to do it. Um, And I'm very blessed and fortunate that this is my, you know, I've had an opportunity to do it, but no, it's special. It's special. I, I get, I think to watch them grow, it's almost like your own children. You know, you get to, you know, you draft them on draft night, then you got to, you get to watch them grow, not only as a player, but as a, as a man and watch them, you know, become fathers and, you know, good husbands and move on in their career. I mean, like it, it's all encompassing to me. I mean, all of it, all of it, I kind of, I get, I get excited about and emotional about. I was telling somebody the other day that, you know, players that I still talk to that are done with the league, I probably proud of them, you know, for what they've accomplished after football as I was when they, when they played.
3: I'm sure Carson Wentz can remember his call when he was drafted by the Eagles. Give me your thoughts on what Carson has been like since you brought him into the fold such a difference from uh, Philip Rivers and, and maybe what we've had before.
4: Well, he works. I look, I, I think it'd be a lot like, like that's the one common thread between, you know, just what, I wasn't with Peyton, but being around him now, you know, listening to him talk and, you know, his passion and, and, you know, for details and work ethic and all the little things like all that, that was, that was a common thread with Peyton, Andrew, Philip um and carson's got the same stuff in him i mean he's a detail-oriented perfectionist who wants to get it right so he works i mean that's you know usually the great ones that's what they do
3: it'd be fascinating to see how it all unfolds chris ballard thanks so much for the time and uh good luck with the draft i know you're looking forward to it
4: i appreciate it thank y'all